Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Let Me Tell You Everything. Join us in John chapter 4, verses 20 through 26. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. I would be so excited if you just take your Bible out and I could just hear the rustling of the pages. The Gospel of John chapter 4. I, I, oh, I'm so easily distracted. I got distracted by the lost and found table just a minute ago. There's really good stuff out there. Okay, so listen. The Gospel of John chapter 4, I'm going to go through the same verses we went through last week. What? Yes, there's more truth there to be drawn out of the text, okay? I'm going to do it. I can't stand it. I just jumped ship about a week ago. I said, nope, I'm going back. There's more. And there's some things I want to focus on um, because it's all there, all right? So, so hang on. That's what we're going to do today. And um, in particular, because of just some, some simple things that I think we need to be reminded of for our own selves, maybe uh, for you today, and for just so that you can lean into your mission and your mandate as a follower of Jesus, recognizing people are hung up on some stuff, right? Now, so we've been through this story with the woman at the well. Uh, this will be the fourth Sunday, all right? And I really love this story because... She is us. She's us. Don't get hung up on her particular sin. We all got our version of that, okay? So five husbands, and then she's living with her boyfriend, this whole thing, and she just gets into that. But uh, there's this subject that comes out, right, where she's talking about where you worship. And, and so location and the place of worship and all that kind of stuff is kind of a big deal. Is our uh, locations and where things come from and places, are, are they a big deal to you? Because they're a big deal to me. I mean, I only wear Doc Martin shoes. They're made in America. And I, uh, I looked up this morning at the last minute. I'm like, these particular shoes, uh, I'm like, I love them. They're made in America. And I look it up. And sure enough, they're made in London. I mean, most of, I have more than these, but these are made in London. And I'm like, ah, oh. okay. So then I just went to the, the refrigerator in the kitchen. You know, my office is in the kitchen, by the way. And, and so I went to the refrigerator. I'm like, where does the, 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 the juice that we use for the Lord's Supper, where does it come from? Well, farmer owned a family-grown business in America, Welch's, made right here in America. 100%. Our profits go to these small family farmers. I like that. I'm all about Welsh's. Okay. So, what about the matzo unsalted cracker, non-GMO, sodium-free, low-fat, vegan? In case you're a vegan, we got it. It's, it's not gluten-free, though. So, those of you that are, it's just a little teeny bit. Okay. All right. So, oh, I love this cracker. All right, this family, my, uh, Im, uh, immigrants in the 1800s, um, escaping a few things, and then they set up shop in New York, and so they started this business. Um, it's a uh, Jewish family business, and there are their family stories on the back and everything, but not for official Passover use. 
Okay, he uses that Passover. There's a reason for that, right? But you can use it for everything else. And so, okay, so I was just thinking about that. And then I was, I was thinking about the Lord's Supper tables, right? Those tables are awesome. Um, when we were building our building, you know, I'm like, wow, we need these. We want these worship stations. It's kind of our heritage. And so there was this little startup company right next to the offices that we were uh, utilizing. And a little a welder, and he had a couple of employees, and they're just busting it out. And I went over there, and I go, hey, I took him some pictures, and I go, you think you could weld some tables that look like this? And he's like, that's a terrible drawing. And I, I'm like, I know, I know. I just thought the pictures would help. And he goes, what you want is a trestle table. And I said, yes, that's it. And he goes, I got it. And he sketched it all out, and I go, that's the one. I should have said they need to weigh less than 2,000 pounds because, my goodness, that baby's made for a, I mean, it's made out of railroad tracks almost, right? It's, it's so awesome. And then we had a custom cabinet, make, uh, a cabinet maker in Tucson make the tops and these cabinets and stuff. So those tables are awesome, made right here. And um, it's got a story, you know, and the location's a big deal to me and the, the guy and everything, right? And um, so... I, I don't know, I just started looking at the, 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 the little plastic communion cup. Those come from China. We buy those in China or from, from some Chinese company, and we get them. And, uh, and then we used to have the Lord's Supper, uh, uh, the trays were from Israel, and they were wooden, and they were cool, and they were olive wood and all that. But they didn't last, and there couldn't fit very many in there. And so we had to move those on, and they kept breaking and stuff. So now we got... Those trays are stainless steel, and they come from Indonesia, all right? And then the candles and all those things and the cross. Oh, a little guy started a business. I don't know how you do this, but he started it out of prison. And then when he got out of prison, um, he, he, you know, he, he got all straightened out and everything. He started making crosses. I don't know. I just read this story, and I'm like, who is this guy? And then I, I just emailed him. I go, hey, can you make some crosses for our table? He's like, heck, Yeah. So we bought, you know, four of those, and he made them. And, and, and then the giving boxes, those are the coolest thing, made by a really awesome guy. This guy ordered um, a pallet of shotgun ammunition, and it showed up on this pallet um, from Winchester, all this ammunition in these really cool boxes, and they were kind of falling apart. So... I just took them and refurnished them and everything, and I put the ammunition in my closet, and then um, <laughs> I sanded off the Winchester logo and their dovetail, right? And then I glued them all back together, and I routed a hole in the top, and uh, I did a little bit of, I took a torch, and I kind of burned it, and then I sanded them down again, and then I put this deft finish on there and beefed up the hinges and then I screwed a cross on the front from Mexico. They're made in Mexico. I just put a cross right on the front. Now you know where you're putting your giving. <laughs> Ammunition boxes. You didn't know that, did you? Yeah. So I do a lot of uh, quail hunting and I, sh I shoot a gun that's, it's a 28 gauge and so I just ordered it by the pallet, right, a long time ago. And so anyway, um, I thought they were kind of cool, but you didn't know. I wasn't going to tell anybody, but I couldn't stand it. You should just know. <laughs> you should just know, right? So um, 
I don't know, location, where things are from, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of a big deal to a lot of us. Maybe, maybe you don't care. You know, my children don't care really where things are from a lot of times. They're whatever. But um, I, I kind of care about where things come from, you know. I like, I got a belt that's made in America. Kind of like it. But my, uh, my shirt's Calvin Klein. I don't know. It's not made here. I don't think so, right? And, and, and other things. So some things are a big deal. Some things are not. Jesus is um, focused on, on something here. This um, woman that he's talking to is um, she, she uh, changes the subject by talking about location and worship and some stuff like that. And I think it's really interesting. So we're going to focus on verse 20 through 26. Now, we've already gone through it, just like I said, but I'm going to go through it again. Start at verse 20. Let's just read it. Actually, start at verse 19. Start at verse 19, all right? So um, here's this woman that he's been talking to, and there's all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to go back and preach all the messages, but let's just catch up. The woman says to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you people say that the place where people must worship in Jerusalem. Jesus says to you, says to her, excuse me, believe me, woman, time is coming when you will worship the Father, keyword Father, I would underline that word, or those two words right there, the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews, but a time's coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's a really key verse. Verse 25 then, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. The one called Christ. Whenever he comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I the one speaking to you, am he. He kind of sounds like Yoda right there at the end, doesn't he? But I like it. He's basically saying, well, it's me. I'll explain everything to you. Okay? And, you know, and then he's, he does stick around for a couple of days. And I think that's what he's doing. He just explains everything to, the, to these folks, the townspeople and her. And it's a pretty sweet scene, I think. Okay, now... So we're going to focus on verses 20 through 26 again, all right? We've, we've seen in verses 1 through 15 that Jesus is the living water, which he offered to the Samaritan woman at the well, and, and she totally misunderstands. She's like, hey, you know, she, she thinks he's talking about actually water, and he's not. He's talking about himself. We see last week, right, that Jesus is this prophet who lays bare her soul, our souls, and he knows uh, us to the bottom of everything, that, uh, that we are doing. He knows everything. He exposes it all, and he pursues us anyway. He's after us anyway. Jesus is after us. So uh, it, she's had five husbands, and um, the man that she's with now is not her husband, right? Her boyfriend. So now we're going to see that Jesus, um, see Jesus as Savior who unlocks these uh, mysteries of real, true, authentic worship and who is otherwise known as the Jewish Messiah in verse 26. And there's so much more there, but I want to focus on the Savior part. All right? I didn't really spend tons of time in that. And that's, that's really it right here. So um, here's, here's my f- first point. It's not about the location. So focus with me on these, 
on these few verses right here to get away from his prophetic probing of her heart. That's what we saw. The Samaritan woman leads Jesus into a discussion actually about worship. Okay? But even here, she wants to keep things on an external surface of worship, not the heart of worship. So many people are caught up in that and the surfacey part of what worship is. So they misunderstand worship. They're actually not true worshipers. So many people think they're worshiping and they're not worshiping. And it's not about this. And it's not about actually uh, your vocal cords. It's not about this as much as you might think, right? But boy, did we put a lot of emphasis on that. It's not about your preferences and your style. It's not about whether you're feeling it or not, you know, or you're connecting to whatever Kevin's doing up here or not doing, right? It's not about that. And actually, Jesus gets to this heart. And so many people are messed up with that. So um, she talks to him about the where. Look at verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, this all you people thing is thrown around by her and Jesus a little bit. I like it because he's talking about Jews, you know, you Jews. And he, when he says um, you people, he's like, you Samaritans. Okay, that, that, that's what that's all about. So Jesus is willing to go with her into this topic, and it's pretty awesome. It's brilliant, actually. But he's not willing to let her limit the issue to location. He, he straightens that out right away. He's going to press to the heart of the matter. He's going to get to it. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem. It's awesome. I do think that geography changes your theology. Here's some pictures in Jerusalem of people worshiping in the location that she's talking about, right? There it is, that golden dome. There's all kinds of wars and fighting and fussing and all kinds of crazy violence and everything happens because of that thing and where it is right on top of the Temple Mount. It is beautiful. And this is what they're talking about. And I just noticed that guy's on the cell phone. He's just like us, going to worship on cell phone, all right? They go to this wall, this wailing wall, to worship and to cry out to God. Look at it. And, uh, and it's all about these walls. You see all the little white things, pieces of paper in there, and they're writing your prayers down and stuffing them in the cracks, right? And uh, because they're dead set on worshiping there, this is a big deal. This location is huge um, to so many people. All right, Palestinians are all about this place. The, the Orthodox Jews are all about this place. And um, when Jesus starts his revolutionary ministry, this is where he kind of starts it in this next picture. At this synagogue, he starts preaching in there and stirring it up and getting people all fired up. And so he takes it out of there to, into, into Peter's house, and everybody is mad. What are you doing? We can't be having church not in here. Right, kind of thing. So location's a big deal. It's a big deal. So he starts with a denial, all right? You wonder about where. Where, right? You're concerned about the location. There's a day coming, and it's sooner than you think, when both these, you know, the mountain and 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 Jerusalem, you know, the, the temple and all that, it's gonna be irrelevant for true worship. 
That's amazing for a Jew to say, actually. The day's coming, he says, when Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of David, the place where the temple of God is, right, uh, will not be the focus of true worship. (laughs) It's not the answer she expected, I promise you. She did not see that coming. She expected a great argument that Jews defend Jerusalem as the focal point of worship and Samaritans defend Mount Gerizim. But Jesus rejects the whole argument. Instead, he says, we're on the brink of something new. That's why I'm talking to you, and you're just not quite there yet, right? Look at verse 21. Time's coming again when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Time's coming. Now, why mention worshiping the Father part? Remember I said, underlined the Father. Why that? Why does he say that? Instead of where we worship, Jesus focuses on who we worship and how we worship. I want you to notice this reference now at the end of verse 21, the Father. She had not said that, actually. Jesus is the one who says that. Why? Why not say God? Why not say the Lord? Or some some other kind of designation there. Why? Why the Father? You're not going to worship the Father in either of these mountains. You know, there's the temple is actually on a little mountain, right? You're not going to worship either place, right? Well, there's three reasons, and the first one is God is the Father of Samaritans. That's the first one. He first uses it to link with her reference here to the Samaritan fathers. You got to dig through it a little bit and draw because he's drawing her attention to the one all-important father. She said in verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Our fathers, right? Our forefathers, our, you know, our ancestor kind of people, right? And she had already asked in verse 12, surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob. You know, our forefathers, that, that guy, everybody, he's a kind of a big deal as well. It's his well, that whole thing, right? So she is very focused on the externals of place and tradition. I am. I am too. Externals, place of traditions. I'm kind of sentimental. I'm all kinds of things like that, right? It's a big deal uh, to lots of people. The fathers seem very prominent in her mind. So Jesus shifts the focus. He doesn't say, well, the real Jewish fathers worshipped in Jerusalem. He says, there is a father you should care about, and he is the actual father. The father who sets out to be worshipped, but not in any particular place. Not in any particular place. So here comes number two, the second reason for going down this road with the fathers. God is the father of children who receive him. I think it's really, really important. Watch this. He points her to the fact that God has children. God has children. There is no such thing as a father who doesn't have children. Giving conception to children is what makes you a father. So when Jesus says that the one to be worshipped is the father he raises the question of who are his children or who his children are. So the answer is already given in verse, in, in, if you go clear back to John chapter 1, verse 12, it's already there. 
But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. So those who receive Jesus are the children of God. God is a father to those who are reborn. Born from above, like the New English translation says. And believe in Jesus. So Jesus is waking her up to the truth that when it comes to worship, place is not the issue. But whether you have God as your father, that is whether you are reborn, you have this new birth, born from above, and believe in his son. So God is the father of the son, Jesus Christ. That's the third reason for bringing this all up. The fathers, right? Or the father. This is why he refers to God as the father, in other words. At the end of verse 21 is where he does this. It calls to mind for us at least that the father has one unique son who is the son, right? The two terms are used together so often, the father and the son, that it's hard not to hear it here. Does that make sense? It's hard not to hear it here. (laughs) Watch this. John chapter 3, verse 35. The father loves the son and has placed all things under his authority. You can flip to John chapter 5, get like four references out of there. John chapter 5, verse 19. So uh, Jesus answered them, I tell you the solemn truth, the son can do nothing in his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Look how they're connected. Verse 22 in chapter 5. Furthermore, the father does not judge anyone, but has assigned all judgment to the son. John 5, 23. So, That all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, thus he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And then the last one out of John 14, verse 13. And I, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The one to be worshipped is the Father. This woman is dealing here with the Son. And we're going to see His presence is far more important in worship than what mountain you're worshipping on or what city you're in. Location is not, not important. The place isn't important. It's not where, but who. It's not where, but who. Remember, he had already said in John chapter 2, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. In other words, he had already said that he himself was the new temple and everybody didn't like it. They didn't like it so much. They're like, that's when they start thinking, we got to get rid of him. The new meeting place with God is him, right? The temple was about to pass away and the focal point of worship Going away? And what would be in its place? A new mountain, a new city, a new building? No. A new person, the Son. The Son of God. This is what he's getting at in saying, not this mountain or in Jerusalem, not, you know, not where, 
But who is what matters? The Father and the Son, the living water, the prophet, the Savior, Messiah. So then verse 22 comes at the, uh, comes at the same thing kind of in another way. There's a different sort of angle here. You Samaritans, verse 22, you Samaritans, that, that Samaritan, it's, it's like, you know, you worship. I put the Samaritan thing in there. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, if you're not careful at first pass, you're like, oh, man, you know, he's being um, prejudiced almost. Or, you know, he's bringing the race thing in there. I mean, it's, it's blunt. It's painful. The problem with you Samaritans is not that you worship in the wrong, at the wrong mountain, but that you don't know who you worship. Why is he saying this? This is like kind of in your face a little bit, right? Why not? What, what, you know, what's going on? Because he says in verse, the second half of verse 22, salvation is from the Jews. What does that mean? Does it mean that all Jews knew who they worshiped? No, no. Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. Just listen to it for a second. You know, the really serious Jews that know a lot and read a lot and spend their whole life studying the Bible and the laws. John chapter 8, right, the reason why this thing says, oh, not for official Passover use. Right here, these guys are going, hey. What does Jesus say? You know, neither me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So they don't even know God in John 8, 19. They don't even know God. They're just like the Samaritans. You worship what you do not know. So he's, not, so he's, he's indiscriminate, isn't he? All such worship, Jesus says, is vain. It's empty. Matthew 15, 9. It's not true worship, John 4, 23. So what does Jesus mean in, ver- in the second half of verse 22? We worship what you know, we do not know, for salvation is from, or you worship, we do not know, for salvation is from the Jews. He means that Jews teach that a Savior is coming into the world. He's coming as the Son of David, Messiah, the servant of the Lord. And because there will be a Savior, true Knowledge of God and true worship of God are possible. So the very last kind of clause or phrase of this whole story that runs from verse 1 all the way through verse 42 is the announcement of the Samaritans in the town of Sakar. right? We know that this is really the savior of the world in verse 42. So when Jesus says in the second half of verse 22, salvation is from the Jews, it's because of that we worship what we know. He means a Savior is coming into the world who will make it possible for sinful people like me, like you, like her, like this lady who's been married five times and living with her boyfriend, right, to know God, to call him Father, and to worship him in truth. That's what he's talking about right there. That's why he's doing all this. You don't know who you worship because you're not dependent on the Savior. The salvation that is coming into the world. The Savior is the Jewish Messiah. You Samaritans don't believe that. 
And so your worship is not true worship. It's not true worship. It's what? It's just religion without Jesus. It's just religion. It's really important that we see the implications of this for for our situation, for us, for the people in our community and all around us and your friends and your family and, and the world that we live in, the culture that we live in in regard to like Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Judaism, and other religion that does not embrace Jesus as the savior of the world who comes to die for sinners and to rise again and to become the mediator between God and man. It's important because the unique supremacy of Jesus among all the religions depends on this. And because many Christians are abandoning the truth that knowing and honoring and loving and believing in Jesus is necessary for salvation. Uh, it's it's just it's one of those things I I um, I don't know I probably shouldn't even talk about it I should just I just need to just do it I kind of do but people ask me about it all the time like I rarely use the word Christian anymore because it it's a it's a term that's been commandeered by so many other people it's not a bad word it's actually a really important word in uh, the New Testament it's valuable it, it has purpose but so many people apply their own definition to the word. I just stop using it so that we're not misunderstood. I, I, I just utilize the word Christ follower so much more or believer in Jesus, right? Follower of Jesus. Um, and, and I know that the name of our church is Vail Christian Church. I get it. I understand. But I think there's uh, something going on here that I think needs to be defined better. So let's talk about this a minute in regard to embracing Jesus as the savior of the world who comes to die for sinners and rise again and become the mediator between God and man. It's important because of the supremacy of Jesus, all right? And it's because it's just religion without Jesus. It's not worship without Jesus. It's actually not worship. Another, in, in, in another direction, then Jesus, uh, Jesus' point here is, and, and other places in the gospel is that there's no true worship apart from receiving the Savior that comes from the Jews. So not only did Jesus say in John chapter 8, if you knew me, you would have known my Father also, but he also said to the Jews in John 5, 23, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. And then in John 5 again, he says to them, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. In other words, whoever doesn't know who I really am and honor me for who I really am and love me for who I really am does not know or honor the love of God or love God. And so whatever they do on their mountains or in their temples or in their shrines or in their mosques or synagogues or even churches, they're not worshiping God if it's not about me. You see, you can't worship what you reject and what you don't know. That's the point of Luke 10. Verse 16, the one who rejects me 
or rejects him, rejects me, rejects him who sent me. It makes no sense to say that they worship when they reject. Matthew says uh, the same thing, Matthew 10, 40, wherever, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. It makes no sense to say they worship the one they do not receive. In John 5, 46, which is especially relevant for the Samaritans and the Jewish people, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me. In other words, if you refuse to own, um, to own who I truly am, then you don't really believe Moses. And the worship you do in response to Moses is not true worship. I don't care what mountain it's on. You missed it, right? In a pluralistic, multicultural, relativistic world like we live in, I think it's going to be harder and harder to believe, to believe this in the years to come, in the future. More and more, the more people you know who personally, the more people you know personally who are very religious but who do not embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, the harder it will be to believe that their worship is not true worship. But if the, 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 the courage and the sturdiness of your faith, if, 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 it, if it slips out from underneath you, you're going to forsake the Jesus of the New Testament and join the world in creating your own. Your own. You know, we get so focused on the thing, the stuff, the location, and leave out the whom, right? It, you can see it, right? It's really hard. It's hard for me, too. I get it. This and how we do it and the style in which we do it, this is kind of, it's important to me. But it's actually not really about me, is it? <laughs> it's not about me. I'm going to get even more personal. Watch this. So now, hold on. Because for the last like four weeks, I did the, what does this have to do with me first? I saved it to the end. I'm switching it up. Don't get up. Here we go. In, in verse 23, Jesus makes it explicit that the time is here, the time when worship shifts from the temple in Jerusalem to Jesus himself. Look at verse 23. Time's coming, and now it's here. Here we go. When true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. So what's this got to do with me? The time is now here because the Savior is here. That's it. The Son is here. Jesus is the way. The Father is seeking worshipers. That's what the Father wants is worshipers, and Jesus is the way, right? That's why he came into the world, not to condemn, but to save. Jesus is God seeking the worship of God. I think that's actually really profound in what it has to do with us. So you can think about that then. If, uh, if you're messed up with that, then you can't explain who Jesus really is, and you're not really doing anything or any favors to anybody else out there if you're not explaining that um, to folks. And, and it's got to be something that you embrace first because true, number two, true worship requires new birth or rebirth. True worship. So if you haven't been reborn, born from above, made new, transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, then when it says that true worship happens in spirit and truth, it means at least this, you must be born 
of the Spirit in order to worship God. So you can't worship God unless you're born of the Spirit. And you must come to him through the truth. That is, what is the truth? Through Jesus who said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Must. Otherwise, it's just pretending or playing worship. It's not actual worship. God is seeking true worshipers. He's seeking this woman to be a true worshiper. That's what he wants. That's why he sent his son. So, number three, being saved and God being worshipped are one and the same. Being saved and God being worshipped are one and the same. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, he's a smart guy, verse 6 out of chapter 3. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Why does he say that? To worship God in spirit means to be born of the spirit, to be a living spirit. Before new birth, we all, uh, all we do is go to church. All we do is go to the synagogue. All we do is go to the mosque. All we do is go to the temple. All we do is go to the mountain, acting in the flesh. Whether we call ourselves Christ follower, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, we have no living spirit. We're dead and we don't know God. But through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. We are born from above or reborn. We have a living spirit then installed in us. We are made new. We can worship in spirit. Our spirits are alive and we have God's spirit within us. And now we can see and embrace truth, the truth of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now we worship the Father in spirit and in truth, God's supreme truth, Jesus Christ, the sum of all truth. What's this have to do with me? Living water, prophet, savior, Messiah. What does Jesus say at the end? Hey, let me tell you everything. The woman, she walks right up to the edge of this whole thing. It's so awesome. And she says in verse 25, she said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who called, called Christ. Whenever he comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus says to her in that verse, I, the one speaking to you, am he, right? <laughs> and he's saying it to you as, 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 as really as, as if he were standing right here in the flesh. I'm the living water you were designed to drink. I'm the prophet who knows everything about you and still wants you. I'm the Savior who's come into the world and died for your sin to make true worship possible for you. You ask about the coming Messiah? Let me explain everything to you. It's me. And he sticks around for two days. And that's what he does. He explains everything. Oh, what are we supposed to do? I think we're supposed to explain everything. I think we're supposed to explain everything because the Savior is here. Let me tell you everything. And don't leave anything out. We're supposed to be compassionate? Yeah, Jesus was totally compassionate. Does he ever bring up the adultery or anything like that? Again, no. No, he doesn't do that. He didn't come to condemn. He came to what? Save. Yeah. So there's so many folks in our lives that need this kind of explanation. Don't, oh man. 
bow your head with me. Lord, we're about to walk across that bridge and get back out into the world that we live in. I'm praying, God, today for those who've been stiff-arming Jesus a little bit, that they would surrender and say, wow, I'm sinful and I need a Savior. This is the way. Jesus is the way. I've been, I haven't really been worshiping yet, but I want to. Would you transform and change those people's hearts right now, God, because of their acknowledgement, their confession, and lead them, Father, to repentance. Maybe that's you today. God's knocking on your heart. The Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart. Give up. Give up. He's after you. We just saw it. He's after you. He wants you. Give up. And say, all right, I'm ready. I'm worshiping at the wrong place. Maybe, though, God is convicting you, and there's so many folks in your life that just need some help. They need to be told about everything there is to know about Jesus. They need to know who their true, um, they need to know the truth. They need to know Jesus. Would you make a commitment to talk to those folks today? this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.